I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Visit Wales are proud to sponsor the RHS Gardening Podcast. To find out more about Wales's beautiful and historic gardens, go to visitwales.com slash gardens. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast, sponsored by Visit Wales. Every fortnight, we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening – Plant care, garden design, pest control, container ideas, growing your own fruit and vegetables. Plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Sean Thomas, Garden Visits Editor of the RHS Monthly Magazine for Members, The Garden. Coming up in this edition, an expert guide to how to make your garden wildlife friendly, our pick of top performing seasonal plants to brighten your patch, and as always we have the latest news on RHS events across the UK. But first, let's go to RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey to find out what jobs the horticultural teams are tackling this month. My name's Ollie Wilkins. I'm the fruit, veg and herb team leader here at RHS Garden Wisley. So it's the week preceding Easter and it's one of the busiest weeks in the garden, mainly for getting things in the ground. We want to get as much planted as possible over this week as we can. So it's first early potatoes, it's onion sets, and also it's continuing with successional sowings of salad crops or first planting of salad crops, so rocket, spinach, cut-and-come-again salad. So it's really important that we get them in now before it gets too hot, before we have to start watering them all the time. So we'll be doing that. And then also, if we have sown some in the vegetable garden, then we'll be keeping an eye on those and making sure that we are thinning out the radishes, things like that. And also we sowed an early crop of cut-and-come-again salad in our greenhouses and we made our first harvest yesterday. So that's really important that we keep on top of that to make sure that we've got fresh new growth coming through and to make sure that we can supply our restaurants here, here in the garden. As a basic rule, when you're sowing any seed, you should always water the drill first. I mean, that's a common mistake that people make, is that you take all the time and effort to prepare a nice seed drill, sow your seed and then water in. And what you find is that the seeds all get washed away as the rose comes off the watering can or something like that. So we would always say, you make your drill you water your drill first and leave it a few minutes to let it drain through and then sow into that. And if you do that, then hopefully the rain will do the rest and you won't have to do much more. So that's a, an easy mistake that people make. And also not thinning out, planting too, too densely. It's much better to sow thinly than have to go through and thin out a huge amount of the seeds that, that germinate. So sow thinly. 
Hello, my name's Lucy Tate and I'm team leader here at RHS Garden Wisley looking after the herbaceous team. Um, at the moment in the garden, we're doing lots of renovation work. So we're clearing beds and uh, improving the soil with compost. We're bringing in divisions from herbaceous material around the garden, but everything's really in need of water. Um, anything you plant, um, any woody perennials that are still being planted need to be well watered and regularly checked to make sure they get established properly. So once you've got your beds planted up, you can also look at some of your established shrubs, things that have just finished flowering, like Forsythia um, and Camellias, some of your evergreen subjects, can be pruned or thinned through now to keep them in check. I recommend going right down to the source for your Forsythia and the deciduous shrubs. And with your evergreens, you can do heading cuts, so just tipping out some of the growth to keep it in check and thinning through next year. So it's Matthew Pottage and garden manager at RHS Garden Wisley. thing to be on with now at the moment in the garden is spring's arriving, we can see the temperatures are going up, we're getting longer daylight hours and, and everything's starting into growth. But also what is changing is the soil moisture is starting to recede after that very wet winter and in some of the areas we can now see the soil is actually starting to dry out. And now is a really great time, it's kind of our last window of opportunity to get down a good thick mulch to help retain moisture. You don't mulch on dry soil because you basically seal in that dryness. But while we still have moisture in the ground, if you've got beds that are prone to drying out in the summer or the plants struggling them, while, while you still have this bit of moisture around, get some granular feed down, get a good thick mulch on, shredded bark chips, shredded bracken, whatever you prefer. Get that down now and it'll just help seal in that moisture, give the plants a tidy up and they're really then set up for the season ahead. some of the team from RHS Garden Wisley. You can find more tips and advice and video guides to seasonal tasks in the garden on the gardening pages of the RHS website. This month you can also watch a practical guide to spring lawn maintenance. That's rhs.org.uk slash gardening. I'm Sean Thomas and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. More and more gardeners are looking for ways to make their gardens environmentally friendly and sustainable. Making your own garden more wildlife friendly is a great way to start and a small step by each of us at home will contribute to a big environmental impact. Attracting beneficial creatures from birds to pollinators will keep down the pests and encourage your plants to perform. From composting to choosing plants, there are some easy ways to get your garden buzzing with life. Kate Bradbury, author of The Wildlife Gardener, visited a family in East London to give them some suggestions on how to improve their garden. My name is Lisa. Hello, I'm Kate. I'm Paul and I, uh, I live here with Lisa. Well, we've lived here for about 10 years in sunny Walthamstow. It's a typical suburban garden, about 60 foot by 10 foot, strip of lawn, um, flower beds either side. And I think the um, people who previously lived here were very keen gardeners. So we've got some mature rose bushes um, we try to plant some tomatoes each year, but uh, the garden's full of plastic toys and a lot of weeds at the moment, I'm afraid. <laughs> I have a nine-year-old son called Rudy and a daughter who's 11, and they love wildlife and really want to encourage animals and like hedgehogs and insects to come and make home in our garden. We've got an old bath. Um, which is our garden pond. There's a couple of toads were spotted in there recently, but we'd like to encourage some more wildlife to come along too. 
and make a home here. Okay, so we've got a fantastic suburban garden here in Walthamstow. Lots of pots and terracotta sort of everywhere, you know, providing damp nooks and crannies for the toads and other amphibians to, um, to shelter under. You know, obviously slugs and snails will shelter under there too, but they are a primary food source for um, many other species, so that's all fantastic. And we've got the composter, and when you take the lid off, it's like worm heaven. There's thousands of them. Yeah, those big black composters, um, they keep the compost really warm, and, yeah, it's fantastic for worms and rove beetles and, and millipedes and other things like that. So what wildlife have you already got in the garden? Well, I have seen one hedgehog here about uh, six years ago. haven't seen any sign of him since. He ate some cat food and made an exit. I'd love to have some hedgehogs in the garden. We've seen toads. We've seen frogs. But with um, insects and stuff, you know, the full variety that we've seen, haven't we? Lots of butterflies, lots of bees, like honeybees and bumblebees wasps, hoverflies, that sort of thing. And, and also, you know, we get quite a lot of birds in the garden. We have woodpeckers and uh, seen jays in there and stuff. Mm. But we're always open to see more. Mm. Well, you've got this fantastic example here of um, rosemary, which is in full bloom, um, which is one of the fantastic early flowering um, plants for bees, such as bumblebees. Um, can't see any bumblebees on it right now, but I'm sure there will be soon. And this honeysuckle as well is fantastic for um, moths. Both night-flying moths, adult moths, um, feed on the flowers. And then in my garden, um, I've bought you a little cutting, actually, of um, Graham Thomas, honeysuckle um, Graham Thomas. Oh, there's a hairy-footed flower bee there on the rosemary. Oh, yeah. It's a solitary bee, um, and that's a male. So there are around 260-ish species of bee in the UK. Um, one of those is the honeybee. 25 are bumblebees and the rest are solitary bees um, and unlike honeybees and bumblebees solitary bees um, don't live in colonies so they live in individual cells the hairy fussy flower bee that we've just seen nests in i think in, in in walls predominantly it's a cavity nesting species some solitary bees nest in holes in the ground if you see small um, volcano shaped holes in your borders been made by ants but they've actually been made by solitary bees one of the great things you can do for solitary bees in your garden is um, make a bee hotel which consists of a box filled with things like bamboo canes and other hollow stems um, and wood with holes drilled in and the bees use these as an alternative to hollow plant stems that they would normally find in the wild which tend to be few and far between in gardens because we keep our gardens quite tidy um, and these, so the holes ideally need to be between two millimetres and ten millimetres in diameter. Um, so if you have a, a range of different sized holes, mm. then you encourage a range of different bees yeah, because yeah. um, different bees are different sizes and, and nest in different sized holes. Um, pop it on the sunniest wall of the garden, right? Yeah. About two metres high, and you should get things like leafcutter bees, red mason bees mm. coming in and nesting, mm. and, and that's a fantastic habitat for solitary bees. One of the things um, I really like about this garden is it, it's not overly tidy. It's, 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 not, a, it's not a huge mess, but, it, <laughs> but, it, but it's, um, you know, there, there are a few weeds in the borders and, you know, I think that's lovely. There are in my garden as well. Um, you know, there's lots of um, pots everywhere. There's sort of piles of dead wood. There's tree trunks. And, you know, 
this is all really good for wildlife. These all all these tiny things um, individually, and then you know together as a jigsaw, um, create um, fantastic habitats for wildlife. Anything from from earthworms and wood lice right up to you know the the, the predators that eat them. You know the, the frogs and the toads. One thing I do is I have leaf, pi- um, leaf piles and log piles. And I know that at the back of your sheds, you've shown me a, a really nice big pile of um, you know, foliage and, and twigs mm. and whatever that you've cut down. Um, but I, I sort of make little bundles um, sort of, and I dot them around the garden. Mm. It's quite good for, um, if you want to control slugs or anything like that, if it's keep a, oh, yes. um, a twig pile near there and the predators of the slugs, you know, the beetles and, and the centipedes. Oh, that's will, a really good idea. Yeah, we'll... Yeah. we'll will sort of take shelter in there and then they'll be closer to the pests when 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 they're hungry basically yeah because the other thing we don't like doing is using pesticides or slug pellets the children get upset because they've learnt at school that they're (laughs) not good for birds so yeah really natural tip like that is really useful i've got i've got Mm. another question um under the trampoline can we put anything under the trampoline that will attract wildlife you could put, um, kind of a you could make a little rockery or just some some stone slabs or or anything like that. Um, that um, that anything from slow worms and fro- you know frogs, toads can <coughs> can shelter under. And what about things like um, because outside the shed area, there's some shop bought pet. Um, pebbles from a garden centre. What about that sort of thing? Will that be? The type of thing, or do you think more rough and ready? More, I would say, I would say larger, larger stones, you know, yeah. or, or even slabs, um, where where it's sort of nice and cool. Even you know, even if you wanted to take your terracotta pots out of the border mm. um, and store them somewhere, you could sort yeah. of create a sort of you know <coughs> messy pile of them under the trampoline, um, and you know that would create dark, damp shelter for um, amphibians. Actually, one thing I haven't said shown you um paul's always joking about my inability to throw anything away <laughs> i have got an old fashioned dustbin full of broken crocs oh, wow, terracotta fantastic. so that's yeah ideal that actually could, isn't that could it work, yeah. you were right not to throw it away <laughs> <laughs> so this is from rudy he wants to retract that means attract more birds and that's gregory the cat crying in the background um more bees, grasshoppers, he said here. Grasshoppers. We have seen them, little green ones. Um, long grass is the key to having grasshoppers. <coughs> um, so if you have them already, then just keep an area of grass um, unmown for them and uh, they should be quite happy in there. There's more information about wildlife and biodiversity on the gardens pages of the RHS website. Here you can also find information about our lists of plants for pollinators and our environmental campaigns, rhs.org.uk wildlife. If the longer days are encouraging you to get out and about more, here are some attractions and events to try out in the coming weeks in our RHS gardens. At the RHS Gardens, we're celebrating National Gardening Week and during the Easter weekend from Friday the 17th to Sunday the 20th of April, there will be a range of family activities that you can come along to. See the events lists at nationalgardeningweek.org.uk. Take advantage of an early opening time of 8am on the 26th of April at RHS Garden Wisley, Surrey, where budding photographers can come along to the garden to take stunning shots of plants and landscape in the morning light. And you can also look out for our exclusive podcast from behind the scenes at the RHS Chelsea Flower Show coming in May.
You can also find out all you want to know about the RHS Chelsea Flower Show direct from your phone wherever you are with the RHS Chelsea Flower Show iPhone app, available soon on iTunes. This free app features full details of gardens, plants and trade stands, access to news, Twitter and Facebook updates, booking tickets to RHS shows and lots more. Details of all these events, as always, are on the RHS website at rhs.org.uk slash gardens. If you're an RHS member, you get free entry to all four RHS gardens. Membership details at rhs.org.uk slash join. With more than 100,000 plants available in the UK alone, how can you tell which plants are the best for all-round garden value? The RHS Award of Garden Merit, AGM, exists to help gardeners make that decision. This award indicates that the plant is recommended by the RHS. So to help give you inspiration of plants to choose for your garden, every month on the RHS Gardening Podcast, our experts will bring you their pick of the RHS's lists of AGM winning plants. Here's Phil Clayton from the RHS's monthly magazine for members, The Garden, with his choices for April. I'm Phil Clayton, I'm features editor on The Garden magazine and I'm going to talk to you about the AGM or Award of Garden Merit. This is given to plants um, by the RHS that have been shown to be excellent for ordinary garden use uh, which means that basically everyone can grow them and they can expect that the plant will perform really well. So these are plants that might flower for longer um, than other cultivars or selections they might have stronger scent if they're edible plants they might produce better crops or they might be more disease resistant they're just generally plants that are better than other selections they also have to be um, widely available to buy so you should be able to easily get hold of them they can't be something that's particularly rare that uh, the majority of gardeners can't obtain the plant must also be of good constitution um, this will have been proved often in RHS trials where they grow a whole range of similar plants and those which have been shown to be generally healthy are those that are more likely to get the AGM. Another requirement is that the plant must be essentially stable in form and in colour. This, uh, for example, relates to um, maybe variegated plants where the variegation uh, must be strong and stable and not too much reversion to plain green. But it also talks, it's, it's also about flowers as well. The flower shape and colour must be fairly stable and consistent. Uh, and the other point that they always consider is um, resistance to pests and diseases. So how do you know which plant has an AGM? When you go to a garden centre and you look on the label, there should be, if a plant has an AGM, a stamp in the corner. It's a circular stamp in green with the words RHS Award of Garden Merit and in the centre of it there's a green trophy and this is to let you know that the plant has an AGM. I've chosen two uh, this month. Um, The first one is a magnolia. Now April is a great month for magnolias. A lot of them are in flower at the moment and uh, the one I've chosen is Magnolia Susan. It's a fairly compact magnolia Often they're quite tall trees, uh, but this one is reliably compact, growing to between two and three metres. That's around between six and nine feet high. What's remarkable about it really are the flowers. They are cup-shaped, sort of quite elongated cup-shaped flower with a really intense reddish-purple colour. And they're produced very freely, even on young plants. 
there isn't much of a scent, if any, from them, but the overall display is, is really exceptional. In time, the plant will form a sort of vase shape, uh, so it'd be narrower at the bottom than it is at the top. And these upright flowers are born from about halfway up, I suppose. Obviously, it's in flower now in April, but it will go on into May with sort of a succession of flowers. They don't all open at the same time. You get some starting in April and finishing in about May. My second plant for April is a beetroot, um, beetroot boltardia, which is quite a well-known um, variety of beetroot. You can sow uh, this particular cultivar now as you can with other beetroots direct sow it into the ground Uh, but what sets this particular cultivar out is that it is fairly resistant to bolting by bolting i mean the plant produces flowers and when it produces flowers the root becomes uh, unpalatable which means it is good for early sowing and also for successional sowings um, thereafter so you don't have to just sow it in april you can do it in may and in june as well and should get good crops of smooth uh, these smooth skinned rounded roots and it's a really nice color and a nice flavor as well uh, cooked or or eaten uh, as a salad vegetable phil clayton from the garden magazine you can find complete lists of all the agm plants on the rhs website rhs.org.uk slash agm plants We're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast, sponsored by Visit Wales. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Sean Thomas, and all the RHS Gardening Podcast team, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.